morning church family, those of you who are at home, we're so glad that you are here with us today for guests. Thank you for joining us. We are in the middle, or just starting, a series, um, and we're in the book of Daniel. And I know that book of Daniel can sometimes seem a little intimidating if you've never, ever had the um, chance to read it because all you think about is what you've heard, that there's dragons and bears and lions, tigers and bears, oh my. But um, truly, Pastor Walt and, um, and I hope that we show you a vision, a different vision, that these prophecies aren't just about all these scary things, but they really are the indicator of who Jesus is and what Jesus has been planning to do for his people. And so um, last night, Pastor Walt challenged us to be still and know that he is God. And so today, as we continue to look into the word, into the book of Daniel, I invite you to just be still and know that God is God. So with that, I just um, want to ask you for a moment to just bow your heads with me. As we continue to just in this worship experience, invite God not only into our homes, into our rooms, into our cars, into this building, but that we invite him into the very depth of our soul so that we can be transformed by this experience. Holy Father, there is no one like you. Your people are listening. Your servant, Father, asks that you hide her behind the cross, that you may be elevated, that you may move and speak to each person individually, because only you know where each person is, finds themselves in this moment in time with you. So we thank you for your word, O oh God, and we ask that it just comes, that it comes to life for us this morning. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you have your iPads, if you have your phones or any other new device that's out there that I'm not aware of because I'm not a tech-savvy person, I invite you to either turn to it with your hands, with your fingers, and go through the pages and go roughly towards the middle, a little bit more than the middle of the Bible. And there's this book called Daniel. And I'm inviting you to go to chapter 4, and we will be reading verses 34 through 37. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and it, and it says, verse 34, After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned. And I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he please among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one, no one stops him or says to him, What do you mean by doing these things? When my sanity returned to me, 
When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. This morning, I want to talk with you, talk to you about how to keep our sanity when it feels, when it feels like the world is reeling out of control. We're living in unprecedented times, and and we're seeing things that we've never, ever seen before. We have drastic climate change. There are longer and hotter days than ever before. There are devastating fires that are consuming California. There's a vitriolic election year that has really just brought out the ugliness in so many people. And there's a virus that is so small that you can't see with a regular microscope, and yet this tiny little virus has altered the way the world functions. 225,000 deaths in the last seven months. 225,000 human beings lost. 225,000 families, individuals distraught because of a virus and a loved one's death to it. And that's just on a global spectrum. I mean, what about the things that affect us personally, the things we experience on a day-to-day experience? There's, there's the anger, there's the loneliness, there's the anxiety, there's the depression, there's stress fatigue, there's disaster fatigue. Yes, disaster fatigue. People are actually feeling fatigue after listening and hearing and reading about the, the disasters that are continuously happening What about the marriages that are hanging on by a thread? The loss of of one or two incomes, having to decide, am I going to have to stay home and homeschool my children, or do I have to go to my job? Women having to face harder decisions than ever before. What about the breakups? What about trying to date in an era of social distancing from, from my single people? All of this and so much more, it's enough. It's enough for the strongest person to be brought down to their knees. Because it can feel like God has kind of stepped back. It can feel like God is not present. It can feel like God is not listening But if anything that we know is true about the Bible, it tells us that in Deuteronomy that God will always be with us. But the feeling still exists, so we have to acknowledge that feeling. But this morning, I I just want to drive home this point. In this time, unprecedented time, where our sanity is just being challenged, I want us to see in the book of Daniel, in the story of Nebuchadnezzar, that our sanity is directly connected to God's sovereignty. Our sanity, in other words, our sanity, the, the, way we, the, way, the way we can stay grounded 
is by trusting that God is in control of a world that seems out of control. And the best story that I, that I found in the book of Daniel that really reflects this is, is, um, is the story about Nebuchadnezzar that we just read. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was one of the, the most infamous rulers associated, uh, recorded in Scripture, along with the Pharaoh of Egypt who also oppressed God's people He is one of the most notorious pagan monarchs mentioned in the Bible and who did a lot of harm to God's people. But where where Nebuchadnezzar gained most of his infamy, infamy was by destroying, by overthrowing the nation of Judah, by going to the city of Jerusalem and completely leveling out the city, destroying the temple, taking out the idols, putting them in his treasure trove of small gods and taking thousands upon thousands of prisoners of war and making them slaves in Babylon. And yet what is really interesting about this story to me is that God uses this enemy of Israel, this quasi follower of God, who is directly, and, and he uses him to directly write an entire chapter in the Bible, in the book of Daniel. He's not a follower of God, or he seems to have this up-and-down relationship with him, but we're not sure. But God uses him. God uses him to write this, this proclamation, this testimony of who God is. And what that really tells me is not so much that Nebuchadnezzar was worthy of it, but what it shows me is that God is willing to use anyone who is available to him to fulfill his purpose. When we talk about our sanity being connected to God's sovereignty, the story of Nebuchadnezzar's losing and regaining his sanity really makes that connection. So let's start with Nebuchadnezzar's story. It's this As I described, he's this notorious king who has visions and dreams like God's prophets, which I find, again, really interesting that God is speaking to this king in dreams and prophets, not only speaking to him, but he's revealing what his plans are. And that, to me, just shows, again, that God is truly just not only wanting to fulfill his purpose, but he wants to save people in this process. And so Nebuchadnezzar has just had this second dream. His first one was in chapter 3 about a tall statue. And he has this vision. He has this dream about this huge tall tree. And um, what he does, and he goes ahead and tells all his enchanters, his magicians, his fortune tellers about this dream. I saw this big tree, and this big tree had these wonderful leaves, and everybody lived, on the, lived underneath this tree. They found, people found shade under this tree. Uh, Animals were able to find food under it. Uh, Birds were able to place their nests uh, up there. And and this tree provided shade and life and food to people. And what ends up happening is uh, he sees a watcher. He sees somebody come down from heaven and says to cut down this tree. Now, Not only does he have him cut down the tree, but he says that this watcher says, leave the stump of the tree. 
because I want that to, to remain there. And then he goes on and tells, tells Nebuchadnezzar, well, not Nebuchadnezzar, but he tells the person in this dream that for seven periods of time, let him have the mind of a wild animal instead of the mind of a human. For, for this has been decreed by the messengers. It is commanded by the Holy One so that everyone may know that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world. He gives them to anyone he chooses, even the lowliest of people. And so none of, his, none, of the, none of the fortune tellers can really tell the king what this dream is about. And so like he did previously, uh, the king calls for Daniel. Now Daniel, God had given Daniel not only higher intelligence than most, um, he and his, his friends, a lot more intelligence than those around him, but he had given the specific the specific um, gift of telling dreams and revealing dreams. And so the king calls Daniel and he says, Daniel, this is my dream. And he explains the dream to him. Now for Daniel, when he hears the dream, the Bible says that he just stays quiet. Have you ever heard some news that kept you, that it stunned you so much that you had to stay quiet? Daniel is quiet because what this dream, even though he knows what the dream means, it is still very frightening to him and the king says hey don't worry about that I just tell me what this dream is about and so Daniel goes ahead and and interprets the dream for the king and essentially he tells the king you're going to lose your mind you're going to be driven away from human people and you're going to go and live out for seven years in a pasture eating grass like a cow and and you know that stump that that was left in the dream well that's the good part of the dream um king that dream means that your kingdom's going to be restored back to you. But here's something that I had never caught before. Verse 27. It says, so king, this is Daniel speaking, take my advice. Make a clean break with your sins and start living for others. Quit your wicked life and look for the needs of the down and out. Then you will continue to have a good life. There are times when uh, there, this experience for, for Nebuchadnezzar, he could have avoided it. He didn't have to go through this down this path of having to live seven years in a pasture. Had Nebuchadnezzar changed his ways, God would have allowed him to live his life a little bit lo- better. And so the effect of the dream seems to stay with Nebuchadnezzar for about a year. It doesn't say that it, he keeps himself from, he, must, he changed his behavior it seems like because nothing happens for about 12 months until he goes up on the roof of his kingdom. Now, this kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar had, he'd inherited from his father. And what Nebuchadnezzar had done over the time that he'd been king is that he had expanded his kingdom. Um, History tells us that he built three palaces, one more stunning and one more beautiful than the next. And in one of these homes, he created the first roof garden, an architectural design magazine's dream. I mean, it was so stunning that it was considered one of the seven one of the seven, um, uh, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and so he's sitting up there and he's looking out and he's and he begins to just 
look at everything he has. He's looking at everything he's done. And he starts to speak. And he says, this, look at everything that I have done. Look at everything that I have completed. And the Bible says the words hadn't even finished coming out of his mouth when a voice from heaven calls down and begins to fulfill the dream. Now, I, I, I'm not a big fan of dreams, but I do recall one dream that, that always stays with me. In my single days, um, I had told God, I said, you know, well, I, th- I think I'm just going to be single. And then at some point, I had this dream where I was standing up at this altar, and I was, had this person next to me, and he was tall, and that's all, and he didn't have hair. And I remember, and, I, and I, I literally, I'm serious, I literally did not know who this person was. But I just kept it in my back pocket, and I said, okay, Lord, I guess, well, maybe I, I'll get married. I don't know. And I'm glad to say that I married that tall, dark, and handsome man, um, and God fulfilled this dream of mine. But that was not the experience with Nebuchadnezzar. The Bible tells us that as Nebuchadnezzar was talking about all his accomplishments, that is when God came down and uh, hit him with his insanity. At that point, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's removed from society and he's isolated and he's put out into the pasture. Everything that the king had, everything that the king saw, none of that could save him from God's decree. Have we ever had that experience that we focus so much on the things that we have, the things that we have accomplished, that we forget, that we forget that it's actually all comes from God? And the Bible says that for seven years, the king was forced to spend some time with no one else. Now, seven, the number seven in the Bible is a number that means completion. But I don't know if, I don't know that Nebuchadnezzar spent actually a full seven years out in this pasture. But what I do know is the, whatever amount of time that he spent out in this pasture, it was enough time for God to complete whatever he needed to complete in Nebuchadnezzar. If you find yourself right now feeling like you're in a pasture, feeling like you're isolated, feeling as though you've been separated from, any, from the people that you love or from the things that you love to do, just know that God is in control, that God has you, that God is watching you. And perhaps this, this time that you are spending alone, this time that, he, that you are separated from the things you want, that you love to do, God is wanting to work something in there with you. Now, for some, this idea that, that God would um, make someone lose their mind is kind of a little challenging but see, I don't believe that God literally made, makes anyone lose their mind because I feel it goes against his very nature. It goes against who he is as a life giver. You see, Acts 17, 24 and 28 says, He himself gives life and breath to everything. For in him we live and move and exist. You see, I don't think God inflicted the king to lose his sanity but he does give him but but he does give breath to everything so what what that means to me is that god 
did not do that to Nebuchadnezzar. But what does happen when you and I make choices, as King Nebuchadnezzar decided on that rooftop that it was he who had done everything, Nebuchadnezzar made himself out to be his own god. And that's kind of what we all do. We all have this Nebuchadnezzar God in us in which when we want to do something without God's approval and go ahead and do it, well, then we kind of exclude God out of the picture. And when we exclude God out of the picture, it doesn't mean that he leaves us, but he does step back. And he allows sin, he allows whatever forces are controlling the world to kind of just play out. And so God does, does not, nor can he make a person crazy, but he does, when we choose not to walk with him, he does step away. But Psalms 49, 12 says, fame will, not, w- fame will not last. The foolish who think that they, the foolish who think that their wealth will save them in the end will die like animals. Nebuchadnezzar had placed all his faith on the material things that he could see, the things he had done, and he had acquired, and he made this choice to clearly step back from God. I know there are times in our lives that we all do that, but right this morning I want to encourage you that when we feel that we're wanting something so much more than we want God, Let us step back for a moment and look to to God and ask him to lead. And so so King Nebuchadnezzar loses his sanity because he chose to remove God from his life. The king chose to put his trust in material things. The notorious emperor decided that that he could fight his own battles without the help of anyone else. And then the natural consequence of sin took place. And the king loses his sanity. Now, in verse 34 through 37, there are three things that I think we can find in that text that can help us today as we live in the world that feels like it's going insane. One of them is God's sovereignty elevates our perspective. And what I mean by that is, after having spent all his life looking down on people, Nebuchadnezzar having people look up to him and his walking on rooftops and surveying everything that he had done, the king was now spending most of his time looking on the ground. At most, the eye level is, where he, is what he could see. His perspective was now very, very limited, but with this new position that the king was in, God could now have his undivided attention. No more distractions, no more material things to divert his attention. After the perfect amount of time, the Bible says that the king lifted his eyes up to heaven and his sanity returned. You see, when we feel that we have lost our sanity, the Bible tells us that we need to look up. The psalm says that those who look up will find health. Those who look up to God will not only see that will not only see God, but they will give off, they will radiate a sense of joy, and they won't, and, 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 there won't be any shame to cover them. That's what the psalmist says. This means that when you and I have lost our sanity and choose to look up to God and realize that we have made a mistake, God's not going to hold our mistake against us. 
Psalms 21.1 says, when we look up and, and see the mountains, not only are we going to see the mountains, but we're going to be the creator of the mountain. We're going to see the creator of the mountains. And that creator can actually lead us through the mountains. God will become our own our own personal Sherpa to take us up through these mountains, these difficult times, and bring us down safely. You see, this, this God, he's not going to sleep. He's not going to take a nap on this road with us. This God, who is our Sherpa, is going to protect us from all the elements. Isaiah 40, 20, 26 says that when we look up into the heavens, we see God's handiwork. We see the stars that he created and how they obey him every night. And he calls them out by name. Even the son of God, during the most difficult challenge of his life, as he walked, as he was going to be crucified, he looked up to God and said, God, you be glorified. Stephen, as he was being stoned to death, the Bible says that he looked up. He kept his sanity because he was able to look up. And not only did he see God, but he saw Jesus seated, seated in the place of honor. Oh, church family, God's sovereignty elevates our perspective when our, and helps us to keep our sanity. When we lose our sanity in this chaotic world that we are currently living, when we have watched way too much news and feel angry, with those who don't believe as we believe, when we read a post on social media and we just want to tear them apart for what they believe, however right or wrong their opinion is, we need to look up. Look up and get a different perspective and see others the way that God sees you because our sanity is not based on what is going on around us. Our sanity is based on the fact that God is in control. And when we look up, we're not looking out. When we look up, we're not looking within. When we look up, we are being validated by God. You see, looking up, you won't only see God's handiwork, but you will see that his sovereignty will change the way you view the chaos of the world because he is in control of everything and his plan is perfect. My sanity, your sanity, can rest in God's sovereignty. Number two, God's sovereignty restores our purpose. Nebuchadnezzar's purpose for being king was not just for him to build a kingdom and build his wealth, build wealth for himself at the cost of human life. No, God had actually made Nebuchadnezzar a king because he knew that God's, he knew that his people would go into captivity and he needed a king to be able to treat his people well. So God goes ahead and makes Nebuchadnezzar the king. The, king, the reason that God had made Nebuchadnezzar the king was so that God's people, when taken into captivity, into Babylon, he would try, he would do right by them. He would be merciful to the poor and he would keep the and he would be take care of the captive you see we're whatever position we find ourselves in our life in our work in our areas of expertise your purpose is not just to fill our purpose is not just to gratify ourselves and fulfill the things that we want our purpose is always to restore what is broken 
1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So when God's sovereignty, God's sovereignty restores your purpose, anything that we do should glorify God. In Genesis 1.26, the Bible says that humanity was made in the image of God, in their likeness, meaning every single person on the face of the earth whether they are Republican or a Democrat, they can every whether they are de- Republican or a Democrat, they are made in the image of God, and we need to remember that. The immigrant that we say doesn't belong in this country, that they need to get in line to get in here, the alcoholic, the drug addict, the teenager being sold on the Internet for sex, the sinner, that you and I are, we are all made in the image of God in the likeness of the three who came up with the idea of saving people who would reject them on a continuous basis. But we're not to give up. When we don't understand our purpose, we become confused. We begin to think that there's all these different ways to reach, the he- to reach God, but no, there is only one way to reach God. And the Bible tells us that that is through Jesus. Some of us say, well, I'm just a good person. I don't really need to be involved in any kind of religion. Well, being a good person is good, but God's not interested in us just being good people. He wants to transform us. God isn't going to just change. Being good isn't just going to change the course of your life. Good is not good enough. God is looking to transform us. That is why Paul says in Romans 12, 2, don't copy the behavior of the world. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And lastly, I want to just point out that God's sovereignty inspires worship. King Nebuchadnezzar wrote this proclamation. He wrote his testimony out. He could have written anything he wanted to on that day. He could have talked about his experience. He could have talked about how he had come to this place of being a king. But instead, what he did is he decided to worship God. He went ahead and talked about what God had done for him and how great God was. Nebuchadnezzar wanted the entire ancient world to know that God is to be praised and honored. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. He can do whatever he wants, when he wants, and how he wants. Not just because he can, but because he is a sovereign God who controls everything. God's sovereignty inspired the king to worship and to praise praise him and to fulfill that gospel commission that says, go and make disciples of all the nations. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always till the end of time. Church, we are living again in unprecedented times. And the way we view the world really reflects how we see if we believe in God and his sovereignty. If 
we're angry all the time because things aren't going the way we think they need to go, if we're thinking that our material possessions are what are, I- are what is going to get us through, we don't believe that God is sovereign. We believe more so in ourselves. This, this, even, this morning, I just want to challenge each one of us to look to God and remember that he is sovereign. That because he is in control, our circumstances have nothing to bear on us. Last night, Pastor Walt, he challenged us to be still and know that God is God. We saw, uh, he explained in the, in the experience of Daniel and his friends in the, in the fiery furnace that when we want to know who God is, that's when the challenges come. It's not easy to be still. As humans, we just want to do. We're mostly doers. But when we've cultivated a light in the small things of spending time with God, of getting enough rest, eating right, having a devotional life that truly feeds our soul, that helps us move into a different sphere to be able to trust God about his sovereignty. Our world is going to end one day. That we are sure of. Are we sure that we trust God enough to be able to look to him to carry us through it and not trust our own selves? I want to invite you to pray with me this morning. As we talk to God and ask him to reveal what we need to know about his sovereignty to us today. Father God, your people are before you. We're listening from home. We're watching from various locations. And we're here because we want to just give you all of our trust. We want God to be able to walk away this morning knowing that regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the chaos, regardless of the difficulties that we find ourselves in, you are sovereign, meaning that you are in control and that you only seek out our best interests. At least that's what, you told, that's what you did for Nebuchadnezzar. He was a guy who really just didn't even know you very well. But it seemed that he wanted to know you and he had this up and down relationship with you and you took that relationship and you were able to do something magnificent. Father, we lay our hearts out before you this morning. We put all our trust and all our problems in your hands. And we pray, God, that you would help us in these unprecedented times to look to you and no one else but you to get us through whatever is coming. 
We thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. We thank you so much, God, that you are sovereign. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.